The Swamp Without a Still is just a tent, a martini without olives doesn't quite make it, and Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones, listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, MASH Minute. Welcome back to MASH Minute. We're a Movies by Minute podcast analyzing the Robert Altman film MASH, one minute at a time. I'm Tierney Steele. I'm Megan Coleman. Hey everybody, this is Brad Mendenhall from the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. Very excited to be back a third day. You keep asking me back, so uh, I'm glad to yeah. be here. No, we <laughs> we're we're happy to have you here, and I'm so grateful that you were willing to take on these minutes because today we're going to talk about minute fifty-seven, which begins with Trapper John continuing his story about Man of War, and it it ends with Painless announcing his decision. It's the way that I chose to phrase it in my notes. This is a rough minute, and I think it's. <laughs> Almost made worse. This should be a redeeming quality, but it's almost made worse by the fact that there are a couple really great lines in this minute that we'll we'll get to after this story time with Trapper John. <laughs> so I want to start right off the bat by saying that this isn't true. This story about this autopsy and and that okay. So and I, actually, this movie, this scene is even mentioned in Man of War's Wikipedia page, and there they also say like. <laughs> never happened it's an apocryphal story so i have some happy stuff about man of war yeah let's start with that okay cool i i wasn't sure how you guys wanted to tackle this first of all trapper john's wrong right off the bat because man of war lived to, from 1917 to 1947 so he was 30 and a half when he died not 36 so you're wrong you're wrong you're all wrong. He was honored alongside Babe Ruth as the Outstanding Athlete of the Year by the New York Times in 1920, which was my favorite thing because I don't know a lot about horse racing. Like, I like watching the Triple Crown races, but that's all I got. But you tell me you and Babe Ruth co-won an award. I'm in. That's that's neat. He was put out to stud after he was retired from racing, and he was so prolific that he, well, he was definitely the grandsire of Seabiscuit, one of the few other horses whose name I recognize. (laughs) And then there were a bunch of horses where I'm like, I'm sure if you're into this, this is very meaningful and impressive. What impressed me was that his lineage can be found in almost all modern American pedigrees. That's crazy. Sort of related thing. Uh, I sort of plan on doing the same thing uh, when he's done his podcasting career. I'm also planning on putting Jarf out to stud. <laughs> <laughs> Just so we have the next generation of great podcasters uh, at the ready. It, it makes sense. Yeah, you know. He appears multiple times in American Pharaoh's lineage for those who also. Like oh, that's I said, another recognizable name. Yeah. Yeah, that's recognizable. Like, oh yeah, that one. It made me think of the Genghis Khan, how so many people end up with Mongol blood in them because he just went everywhere. Yeah, I've heard that when people do the Ancestry.com, it's like, hey, what's this one spot here? It's like, uh, it's Genghis Khan. Yeah, Uh, it's Man of War. (laughs) Keep this in mind for your advertisements for Jarf. I also saw it listed on there, oranges were his favorite treat. (laughs) 
So you want to include fun little tidbits like that in your bios. (laughs) (laughs) Want to put together his stud menu. <laughs> you want to include favorite treats so that people know what to what to get to make him happy. It's just so funny with Man of War because horse racing used to be such a huge deal. And guys, when, when was the last time you went to a horse racing event? Never. Never. I've been to one. I actually went to Preakness. Uh, of course, I'm completely blank, blanking on the, the the name of because I live outside of Maryland where they I hold think the, it's pre- the Preakness. It is the Preakness. Because Belmont is New York, and Kentucky Derby is the other... But the actual where it's held. uh... Oh, I just know that's what the race is called. Ooh. Ah, Anyway, where they hold the Preakness, I've been to that racetrack the week before Preakness. It was pretty interesting to go there, and I had friends who would go to the horse races on occasion, and it's like, but it's like, yeah, you don't want to go on... You don't want to go to the actual week of Preakness, because Preakness, folks, is an insane party. Oh, that's, I only know someone who's been to Preakness and she was in the middle and it poured and they were drunk. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in that middle area, in the infield, as they call it, about 80% of the women, 10% of the men, 5% of the horses all end up pregnant. It's insane in there. (laughs) So they say, no, you get to go the week before and you get to see they're sort of like building it up and getting everything set. So it was really cool. It was really neat, but it was sparsely attended. That racetrack is having, a Pimlico, I think it is, is having a lot of um, issues staying up and running because people don't go to the horse races they used to. But Tierney, you talked about Seabiscuit and, you know, they showed it in the Seabiscuit movie where when he had the big race at the end, which wasn't even part of the Triple Crown, one of the big races, like the world stopped to listen to that race on the radio. And aside from Triple Crown, that never happens anymore. And horses are rarely celebrity. You don't have really have the celebrity horses. I know there was a Triple Crown winner just a few years back, and I can't remember the name of that Triple Crown winner. You know, I know they had the horse a few years ago that looked like it was going to win and got injured partway through the second leg of the Triple Crown. And that was a big story because it was a human interest thing where it was injured, it broke its leg, and would they be able to save the horse? And the horse ended up passing away. So that became an interesting story in itself. But no, it's not just running a couple races and everyone knows who they are. The world doesn't stop like they used to. And Man of War was one of those points where Man of War, yeah, you're right, would be considered the athlete of the year next to Babe Ruth, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Yep, he's the Babe Ruth of horses, except no one cares about horse racing anymore. Plus, that's the year he went to the Yankees, so who cares, right? Yeah, we don't give a crap about that guy. So, unfortunately, the oranges being his favorite treat was my last happy note of, like, most of the page. Oh, okay. Because the end of this apocryphal story is that, according to Trapper John... They did an autopsy on Man of War and found out he was a raving queen. Which, first of all, <sighs> I don't care for anyone being classified a raving queen by anyone other than themselves. If you want to declare yourself a raving queen, you have at it, but you shouldn't be saying that about anyone else. How the gong would an autopsy show that? There's no answer for that <sighs> other than really cheap jokes, which is what we're trying to avoid. That's not, yeah, no, that's, I realize I'm not a doctor, but I've watched a lot of episodes of the X-Files and Scully was doing autopsies all the time. And that's not something that you can tell. Oh. Yeah. Unless. Unless what? You're thinking semen right now, aren't you? No, I'm thinking he's a, he's a bottom. Oh. And maybe that is what is being implied of how they could tell. 
Regardless, it doesn't effing matter. I just, uh, all of a sudden, as I was saying that, I was like, oh, I guess maybe they thought. They're still maybe. writing this backwards. This is still them trying to apply. And also, I think it's a writer being clever. And. <sighs> and it's so frustrating because Pandini's, he hasn't even started raving yet, is incredibly insulting, but a great line. You know what I mean? And honestly, sadly, there's a bit of truth to this scene. If you put the the, the quote-unquote locker room talk of, and it was especially predominant, I want to say in like high school or middle school or whatever, and that's where a lot of the weird gay stories, the this celebrity was taken to the hospital and had his stomach pumped and was filled with whatever, or, or you know, <laughs> and every now and then there was the horrible gerbil story from this area or that area. Oh, <laughs> oh God. It's like oh, TLC's tales. Of the, oh, yeah. But you can see that's, this is like that story. <laughs> that bunch of guys who are way too, have had a little to drink and don't really care what they're saying. They just spout off stupid crap. So that's the sad part is, it's a weird scene. What he's saying is stupid, but it's like, ah. But there's a believability to what they, it's a believability to the conversation. And then there's that one person in the corner who actually says something that he thinks is really deep and it seems really deep until you think about it and it's stupid because Merhart says, painless is a dentist and a dentist shouldn't read. Having known many doctors, I love that the doctors versus dentists fight comes into every pop culture portrayal of doctors. <laughs> they, uh, they don't get along. So I, I loved his disdain for it. And that was the other line that I was like, you know, that's a great line delivery. It's just in, it's just amid so much muck. And it's, it's like you said, this is a bunch of guys sitting around doing locker room talk. I mean, I just assume, I, obviously, I am a woman, and I've always identified as a woman, and the only time I was in a locker room was, like, being carried through to the Y pool when my dad took me to swim lessons. Like, I don't remember anything. <laughs> but this is the stereotype. Guys sit around and talk about penises and sex. We, we, we don't, by the way. <laughs> Nothing in the history of storytelling has led me to believe otherwise. I know. <laughs> There's certain <laughs> there are certain tropes that make me crazy in movies and TV shows, and the whole and of course it it was something that was in the news during the last election, the locker room talk. That's how guys talk in the locker. I was like, what freaking locker room? First off, the person accused of that. It's like, what locker room have you been in? We see what you look like. <laughs> I'm not buying that you were like prepping for a 5K, and so you know that's where it happened. No. But no, you know what really what happens in the locker rooms is first off, everyone tries not to look at each other. And then when everyone's finally dressed, it's like if they're in a gym, quite frankly, we're still not talking to each other because we don't care. I worked at one company that had a locker room and had classes on their campus. And then there would just be a general, oh, how's that project you're working on going? Like the idea of it being this jovial space where everyone's just standing around wearing towels and having banter is such BS. But it, it's easy to write. So I guess you, you want to have this conversation. So you get the guy, in this case, you get the guys getting drunk in the swamp. Which they did all the time anyway. Yeah. So. Which I, I guess makes sense. What else are they going to do? Yeah. But it is a weird scene. They're saying so much stupid crap. There's so many ways that the this movie is problematic sort of show up. Just 
having the Korean boy serving them. It's like, oh. Oh, I have so many questions about Hojan in this minute. <laughs> I cannot read him at all. I don't know what he is. I don't know what Kim Atwood is going for here. Because they cut to his reaction during all this talk. And then he's the one that's his job. Where did he even learn that term? And the way he says it doesn't match his face in the previous part of the minute. In the previous part of the minute, he's listening to this and he almost, I don't want to say he looks scared, but he looks concerned, seriously mm. concerned. And then he's the one that throws out the jawbreaker line. It's real weird. I don't think they thought through that Hojan isn't one of the guys to be the one to say here he comes. I don't know, but I I was trying to like read his expression. Like, what are we supposed to, even just what are we supposed to think how he's reacting to this? And I can't, it's, it's really weird. It is. It's, this is a weird minute. Although, honestly, at the end, I don't want to say it saved for me, saved for me, but there was an interesting part when Painless comes in. Oh, God, John Shuck is amazing. He is, uh, he is, <laughs> it's weird to say Painless is so cool in this minute, but he is because he totally doesn't rise to any of this. Yeah, they're giggling at him, and you would expect this scene would be him flipping them off and storming out or punching somebody or accusing is like, you know, I told you that in confidence. Instead, he's just struggling. It's like, yeah, I know. I would talk. I would talk about me, too, is basically his reaction. <laughs> yeah. This is the worst feeling in the world, right? You walk into a, bil- a room, but it's the building in this case. And literally everyone was just talking about you. But he handles it so, oh God, I just, I absolutely love John Chuck in this minute and the next minute. I think he's reacting so realistically sounds stupid, but really is not a word in the way that I'm using it. (laughs) He's like, this is a crappy situation, but I already felt crappy. So I don't care. I hate that Hawkeye is laughing. No, he. Sh- you're, you're right. It he- drives me nuts. He's the one who says this is serious. Yeah. It, it's tough where it, it takes away a little bit of his likability. He's the one who's serious. He's the, and he sort of came across the one where if he was gay, it felt like he would have been okay with it. And then he just turns into one of the giggly boys. Yeah, because I, hmm, if we were going to dive deeper, we could talk about what it is that Hawkeye immediately is like, well, he's not gay. He just thinks he is. This is ridiculous. But I think the way it's presented and as for as quickly as the movie moves on, I think it's fine to say that Hawkeye has recognized that Painless hasn't magically turned homosexual overnight. He just has convinced him. He had a crisis of faith and convinced himself of something and Hawkeye rightly calls out it's gonna turn out that this is a serious problem this is something that they need to do something about and even if he had turned into a giggly boy at the something in a marshmallow line I would still be annoyed but I would understand it I would say oh god but I would understand someone made a joke and he reacted all right fine but he starts laughing even before like all Painless does is walk into the room and he's suppressing his giggles. And I don't get that. Murhart on the other side, who's like not looking, looking at Painless feels much more like a normal reaction. And then he starts laughing when someone makes a joke. But I don't understand. I don't understand Hojan and I don't understand Hawkeye. And I understand so, Trapper John, but he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I don't know. It just it just feels like they wrote the other scene after this. Like this doesn't match the scene before it, especially with Hawkeye. Ah, it's tough. By the way, also got to call out John Shuck, and I like him as an actor, and he's I think he's still acting to this day. Or I think his last IMDb credit was from 2018. Really effective character actor now with an interesting look, sort of like a towering old brute. Great looking in this movie. He's a handsome guy. So much that you almost don't recognize him as who he became because he got a little more jolly, a little heavier, a little more slumped, and just, and he looks bigger as an older guy. Oh, this is prime shuck. Yeah, prime shuck. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, Danny DeVito, young Danny DeVito just looks like Danny DeVito with, like, less gray hair when he was younger. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Wilford Brimley has looked like Wilford Brimley since he was a fetus. Fair. But this is a guy with some leading man looks who then became, you know, a human basset hound. <laughs> oh, man, I'm never going to be able to watch him in anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to be able to look at a basset hound the same way either. It's like, oh, I love oh, to match. All right, there we go. If I get a basset hound, it's got a name now. <laughs> basset hounds are fun pets. We had one named Oliver. Oh. He just basically looked like a bag of dog came in. <laughs> Uh, they're very fun. Gosh, this is completely off subject. It has nothing to do with this movie. We had our bass down Oliver Forever. He was my dad's best friend. My father is the only person on this planet who got to watch the funniest moment in human history. He was doing yard work in the backyard. Oliver was walking around with a dumpy walk that basset hounds have. His back leg stepped on a, a twig. It popped up and smacked him on the rear end. Oliver yelped and ran away as fast as he can run, looking behind him trying to figure out what, like, Cobra just bit him. He didn't watch what he was doing, and he went headfirst into a flagpole. My dad said he hit that flagpole so hard he heard it ring. And then he's yelping because he's getting attacked from all sides. My dad literally (laughs) fell down in the yard. He was laughing so hard. And then he got up and was like, I'm the only person that got to see that. Oliver's just like, this is the worst day ever. <laughs> and your dad's like, this is the best day ever. Like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. It is all mine. <laughs> oh, I can transition us back. Uh, you want to see it? I yeah. want to see it happen. So how do we feel about the fact that Hawkeye apparently rendezvoused people back in the swamp and told them everything that had just been said to him? Now, he did not hear it during confession. He is allowed to divulge, you know, theologically, but... Uh, it's like middle school, so it was going to get out anyway, right? I mean, God, but... Megan, is MASH just middle school? It's like middle school went to camp, and then... <laughs> yeah. And, but there Which was alcohol, weird. and there's more sex than what actually would happen at a middle school camp. Let's just be honest, right? I hated middle school but i love mash so i'm feeling real conflicted right now well maybe okay let's well it's kind of like uh, yeah well yeah it's just i think it's also like they're you know i mean there's two people kind of coming and going and not just the patients but they're all kind of like huddled together and it's not a very big space i would imagine after a while and they're just all kind of they're all they all know each other's business and they're gonna act like they don't but they all do a la frank and margaret right i mean they all know that's happening even though they try to, frank and margaret pretend to act like it's not happening but we know it's happening <laughs> 
Well, there's just a thing where, and, and I, we talked a little bit about in, in previous episodes about having the friends come out to us. And of course, it would be a topic of conversation later. But the meeting aspect of it is what's off-putting to me. It's like, it's not just that Hawkeye went to Trapper and says, like, oh, you're not going to believe what happened to them, them having a conversation and, like, somebody walking in and hearing about it. No, we're presented a scene where there's Hawkeye, after being pretty cool in the previous minutes, sitting there, like, it's like, oh, well, it, this that's what happened. And then Trapper John, you know, going about Man of War and all that. What makes it sort of crappy isn't just talking about it because that happens because it's a lot to process i mean for i can't speak for tyranny when i had the friends come out to me especially being 18 19 years old and dealing with all the things that we bring to those conversations from our own background it's like you need to talk you feel the need to talk to somebody but as long as you know that's sort of how the word spreads one by one not hey everybody let's have drinks have our drinks served to us and just giggle about this and come up with crazy stories about famous horses. Yeah, no point did famous horses come up. <laughs> no Seabiscuit talk, no Smarty Jones or anything. Oh, I feel cheated now. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real letdown because, like I said, I was real proud of Hawkeye, but I think we all knew that some problematic things are going to work their way in. Uh, of course. This ain't getting better, folks. I mean, <laughs> grand scheme of things it will get better but it's gonna get worse first (laughs) is that a fair assessment of this uh story arc (laughs) okay (laughs) all right we allow spoilers and i do feel it's important to say for anyone who hasn't seen this movie or is watching first this has a happy ending I know it's not going to seem like it when we come back tomorrow and talk about Minute 58. But oh, no. I, I really do promise Painless is going to be okay. There, I'm just going to spoil it. Painless doesn't die, okay? So, Happy ending? Listen, and but we don't think he's going to become a better guy. No, actually, no. the happy ending is that he goes back to what he was like before. So he and his three fiancés can live happily ever after. You know, we never considered the possibility that those three women are totally fine being in a polygamous relationship. Hmm. I mean, I don't think that's what was happening. I was going to say, I don't don't think that's what's happening. There is that small percentage of possibility that we did not consider that he is engaged to these three girls and they all know about each other. Yeah, they're fine. It's just a really, really early version of The Bachelor. Oh, God. He says he's gone on a journey, and then at the end, he'll decide who actually gets the final ring. I mean, it, I, I mean, I know dating was different then, but that doesn't seem to be how it's presented. This isn't a thing where he's courting three women, no, and right. he will eventually decide which one is the, 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 the true love for him. No, this is, he's screwing three different women. He's promised he's going to marry each of them, and, you know, eventually he'll give all three of them chlamydia. (laughs) (laughs) They are not coming out of this without, you know, penicillin involved in the situation. Oops. On that medical note. On that medical note. This is a podcast about a mash unit. <laughs> oh boy. Alright. <laughs> well, we are Mash Minute. Brad is Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. 
and also Flash Gordon Minute, and also the silent partner of Escape from New York Minute. Is that? That's what we should start calling producers, silent partners. Silent partners. You know, but partners it, it, it would indicate that I have say in it. And uh, intentionally, I said, it's like, I don't care what you people do. I'm just here to make it sound <laughs> good when it comes out. But yeah, uh, really proud of uh, being part of Escape from New York Minute. Great podcast. We recommend it. They have a great listeners page called Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout, where you can ask questions and have conversations. And um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. So uh, recommend everyone check that out. It's a great podcast, just like this one. Tierney was uh, one of the earlier guests, and she did a great job. Everybody can, hope everyone can join the fun. And I would like to thank our listeners for being patient because we do not have a producer who makes everything sound great before it comes out, as you've probably noticed. <laughs> yes, sound production quality. There's a learning curve to that. So thank you for sticking with us for 57 minutes, coming up on minute 58. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.